This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Sole proprietorship, partnership, LLC, and S-Corp. There are some of the ways ag businesses are categorized. Which is best for your situation? What is the tax treatment for each? And how does each impact ownership transitions? We'll cover those topics and more with Paul Neifer. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. If you ask farmers what their greatest concern is this year, they will likely say rising nitrogen prices. For our farm, higher nitrogen prices and our desire to increase bushels with more sustainable farming methods led me to Pivot Bio Proven 40 which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. Paul Neifer is always one of our most popular guests, and each time he's on this show, he helps us consider another aspect of the financial side of our businesses. This time, we're talking about how those businesses are structured and how that can impact items like the taxes we pay and the ability to pass assets to others in the future. Here's our conversation. Paul, we're going to visit about uh, some of the, the ways that we look at our business as far as how we might set it up. You know, you've written about this many times, I'm sure talked with lots of different clients about a sole proprietorship, a partnership, and so forth. Let's walk through these. I suppose that uh, whenever we begin, we might begin, you know, just on our own as a sole proprietorship. Let's start there and talk about the advantages and disadvantages. If I'm just one person, maybe that's where I would start. Would that be right? Yeah, so essentially when you're a sole proprietor, it's easy. There's no formal document that you have to file. Some states maybe require some type of a license, but typically for a farmer or not, um, it's flexible. Uh, the, that's sort of the, the benefits of a sole proprietorship. The negative is all of your income related to farming is subject to self-employment tax. And right now, yeah, that's an extra 15.3% up to about almost $150,000 of income. So uh, typically over time, like you say, we start out with a sole proprietor. Uh, now, some farmers, their whole career, they're going to farm as a sole proprietor. Uh, but as you get larger, uh, if you want to start saving on self-employment tax, we certainly want to look into doing other entities. I know that you aren't a lawyer, but at the same time, sole proprietorship, would I be perhaps in jeopardy from a legal standpoint, too? Yes. So the, the, the one pitfall of a sole proprietor is something happens on the farm, all of your personal assets are subject to the creditors. So uh, even though it was a farm accident, uh, they can go after um, your stocks, your bonds, your cash, whatever it might be. So that is definitely one of the pitfalls of being a sole proprietor. So based on those types of things, the self-employment tax, the, uh, the perhaps legal liabilities, I suspect that most farm entities are going to be looking at something else fairly quickly in their evolution. So if you're having that conversation with someone, where do I look at? What, is, what am I going to choose and why am I going to choose it? Yeah, and, and typically, at least for me personally, I, I tend to like the limited liability company taxed as probably a partnership. Um, 
you know, and there's certain types of assets maybe we want to segregate from other assets, such as trucking. Yeah, trucking's the most likely to cause a major accident, and so we like to stick that trucking a segment inside of a separate LLC just to keep it separate from everything else. Um, we like a husband-wife partnership or LLC tax as a partnership because if we structure it properly, we can actually save quite a bit on the self-employment tax. You know, we, let's say you're making $150,000, we might be able to cut that tax by 60% via the fact that we have a limited liability company between a husband and wife. Now, for younger farmers with kids, having a C corporation may make some sense. Uh, You know, we can uh, save quite a bit of money. Um, It provides that legal protection. But down the road, as they get larger and larger, it can create some issues. And also, as you get larger, we still may may need to maintain that general partnership for FSA purposes, Farm Service Agency, because right now, if you're structured as an LLC or a corporation, even though you have two or four or six owners, you're stuck with one payment limit. Whereas if you're a general partnership, you have multiple payment limits based on the people and their profit percentage or ownership percentage. So uh, there's no one correct answer for, for every entity. It's never exactly the same. But that's some of the things that we definitely look at. Sure. Let's dive into a few of these things. The self-employment tax, you've mentioned several times. So an LLC, a C-Corp, an S-Corp, how's my self-employment tax going to be looked at in those different entities? Is it much the same, or will there be a lot of differences in that? Yeah, it's, uh, so with a corporation, you're only, paid, you're only subject to self-employment tax on the, inc- or the wages that you're paid. So let's say you're an S-Corporation. You make 150,000. You pay yourself a wage of 50. You're going to pay the self-employment or payroll taxes on that. The extra 100,000 that you take out in the form of a dividend is not subject to any type of payroll tax. So that's that's the key on an S corporation. Over on an LLC, if you just set up a typical husband-wife or a, a typical multi-member LLC, all of the income is subject to self-employment tax. But if you set up what we call a manager-managed LLC, and let's say the spouse, the wife works less than 500 hours and owns at least 20% of the business, then we can structure that LLC to really reduce that self-employment tax. I know you've written about that. So underneath an LLC, there's a lot of different things that I can perhaps do. And does that depend on how many partners are in that and how we do that? Then? It depends on the partners. It depends on the type of partners. Again, to get that self-employment tax savings, we have to have somebody owning at least 20% and they have to work less than 500 hours. If we meet that two criteria then we're able to get the self-employment tax savings. If, if you have four cousins farming together and they're all working in the operation, working more than 500 hours, we're not going to get those self-employment tax savings. But if we have that wife or the husband that works in town that owns 50%, you know, it's a husband-wife joint LLC, we're really able to structure that to maximize that self-employment tax savings. Again, every situation, of course, is different, but you mentioned like the four cousins uh, situation there. So if there were four cousins that were equal partners, should they look at probably something different just from a tax standpoint then? Yeah, they, it's in, in tax and FSA planning, if it's a good size operation, we're probably going to have them structured as a general partnership, and then we're going to have each of the each of the cousins taxed as a corporation, an S-corp, or taxed as maybe a, a manager-managed LLC, so we get that legal protection. Remember, general partnership, everybody's subject to liability, but if every member or every partner in the partnership is a legal liability entity, then none of it, you know, they're not, they're still going to get the same 
legal protection as a LLC is just a little bit more of a structure. And because each one of them have, in a sense, their own LLC, then they are not subject to the the FSA payment limit. The payment limit would be on each individual. Right. Which was going to be there anyway. Whether they had the entity or whether they were an individual, they would have one payment limit. So we haven't reduced the payment limits. We've maintained that four payment limit with four cousins. But otherwise, if they were all together, they would have a limit they would have the, the limit on all four of them. Right. They would have to split that. In yeah, if they were an LLC taxes a partnership, they would be one limit for FSA purposes. Now, you know, you know, what's happening with Congress is Senator Grassley is, is really a, a prime proponent of uh, people should only get payments if they have dirt in their, under their fingernails, so to speak. Uh, the House proposal on the 2018 Farm Bill actually reduced or eliminated that restriction you know, you could have an LLC. If there's four members, you get four payment limits. But so far, that still hasn't passed. And, you know, if Senator Grassley ever gets off of the Senate, that, I think there's a good chance that'll pass then. So you mentioned that right now doesn't seem like there's enough move to make any of those types of things happen and how we treat those payments. I, I, I think there's, you know, when we have the 2023 Farm Bill or 2024, whenever it's going to happen, I, I think there's a good chance that maybe we'll see that relaxation because it really is sort of a, it's a phony restriction and it creates all this extra paperwork for all of our farmers, for us. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we CPAs get accused of wanting to create entities just because we can get more fees. No, no. Um, you know, with farmers or other business taxpayers, the more entities you have, more of a hassle it is for us. You know, I, I'd much rather be able to spend my time helping you manage your business versus managing your paperwork. I'm, I'm not a firm uh, proponent of that. Earlier in our conversation, you mentioned about having different LLCs, perhaps for trucking or different things. Is that something that a lot of operators should think about to split things out? And if so, what is going to be my reason that I want to look at splitting certain entities out? Yeah, so f- certainly for the trucking, we're trying to do it for liability protection, uh, but we have to run it like a business. We need to have a checking account. We need to bill the farm for hauling the hauling the grain or whatever we're using the trucking for. Uh, another thing, you know, for a lot of farm operations, the equipment side is maybe the second highest expense after after cash rent and by putting your farm equipment into an LLC and having it in a separate entity it helps that farmer really understand what is my true cost of that of, of the equipment it also helps the farmer start transitioning the equipment to the next generation uh, I've seen way too many farms you know dad's got 62 percent of one combine and 48 percent of another tractor and one son's got 17 and the other son's got 19. It becomes a, a pain, especially when they start trading in equipment. So by taking all that equipment, putting it in an LLC, it's much easier to manage, much easier to account for, and it's much easier to understand what is your true cost of that equipment. Something else you mentioned earlier in our conversation that I want to come back to is you talked about uh, perhaps like a C-Corp and how we save on the self-employment tax because we take some as a dividend. Of course, we can't take it all as a dividend. So what is the rule on that? Because I'm going to save some, but I can't save all. Well, and, and the key con, if you want to call it that, to the C-Corp is this potential double tax. And, and that's the corporation. Any retained earnings inside that corporation is going to be subject to a tax. Now, right now, it's 
not too bad of a rate, uh, but then you take that additional income out in the form of a dividend, and then you're subject to a dividend tax at your personal level. Now, farmers that are in the 12% bracket, you know, that lower bracket, especially if you have kids and so on, that dividend is actually tax-free. So, you know, there's, there's definitely some benefit to that C corporation with a younger couple with two or three kids. Um, they can take advantage of what we call commodity wages. That's also not subject to self or any payroll taxes. Um, so I like the, the and, and another thing, let's say the farmer is living on the farm, um, is building a new house. Uh, by structuring that C corporation, it can own the house. They get the benefit of deducting all of the expenses related to the house, including bonus depreciation on the house. And, and, and if we structure it correctly, maybe get it out tax-free 20, 30 years down the road. So, um, like I say, there is no one, one way of doing it. You have to look at every situation and sort of help devise that farmer's best optimum structure. Sure. The one thing that we have not talked about, I don't think yet, is an S-Corp. Talk about that for a second and why that might be something I might look at. Yeah, and and S-Corp, a lot of uh, tax practitioners out there like S-Corps because we are able to save on self-employment tax. The reason we don't like it is there's issues with S-Corps. There's basis issues that can't always deduct a loss. There's no step up in basis in the inside of the assets uh, when they pass away. So if I'm a LLC tax as a partnership, when I pass away, let's say my, my wife and I own a farm partnership, I pass away all the equipment and the grain and the prepaid farm expenses, they all get stepped up and my wife gets to deduct it all over again. Whereas an S-Corp, we only get to step up the stock. So, um, you know, all the stuff inside doesn't get step up. So it typically... If we have the ability, we're going to use a a manager-managed LLC because of the benefits of that and the same amount of uh, self-employment taxation as we get with an S-Corporation. S-Corps, if if you're a C-Corp, you need to switch to an S-Corp, that's fine. But if we're starting from scratch, we're typically not setting up an S-Corp. We might set up a C-Corp for some of those benefits we talked about, but typically we're looking at that multi-member manager manager, man, no, excuse me, manager, manage, say that fast three times, uh, LLC. You know, for some of us that have been in farming for quite a while, we are probably, we've had this entity, whatever it is, and it's been this way for a while. Is this something that we should really look at changing? Because we, we often don't think about, wow, that's going to be a lot of change. Is it that hard and should I be looking at it? It, it, it depends. Um, what we see a lot of the times is we can't really just get rid of the entity. You know, we need a five-year, ten-year plan. We're going to set up a new entity, a new structure. We're going to start slowly moving the operations over to that new entity. It's a paperwork hassle, but uh, remember, you know, farmers have three genetic chips implanted at birth. You know, thou shalt buy as much land, thou shalt buy as much farm equipment, and even more importantly, thou shalt not pay taxes. So anytime you tell them they're going to owe a few hundred thousand dollars of taxes, uh, no, we can't do that. So, you know, by slowly doing it, we're usually able to accomplish our goal. You know, we're laughing here about not paying the taxes. Do you think that that we in agriculture and farmers, because I'm sure you work with other businesses outside of agriculture, do we have some things that we look at and are probably wrong and we need to look at, you know, how the rest of the the business world looks at things and what would those be? Yeah, I I think, um, and I know, you know, Dick Whitman's a friend of mine and he does consulting and he says the worst thing has happened to farmers is the cash method of accounting because it allows farmers to do sometimes stupid things just to save on taxes. Um, yeah, I, I, I think 
we definitely do have an issue sometimes with the fact that even very successful farm operators, as a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody yesterday, like the 28 largest farmers in Iowa, 26 of them do not use a cruel method of accounting. You're just on the cash method accounting, that never really tells you an accurate reflection of what your true income is. And one of my favorite sayings when I'm talking about taxes and farmers is working capital, you know, that cash, the receivables. If you've paid tax on it, it's yours. You can do anything you want with it. If you never pay tax on it, it's either Uncle Sam's or it's the bank or it's both. So you don't have that flexibility. Whereas if you've already paid the tax, and, and another thing, we don't want to eliminate tax. We want to optimize the tax liability. We want to soak up that 10%, that 12%, maybe that 22% bracket. Um, you know, too many farmers, you know, they keep kicking that can down the road, and they don't realize how much of a deferred tax liability they have. Uh, matter of fact, I'm, I'm working this week via email on a, a retiring farmer, and he's potentially looking at a million two million dollar tax liability if we don't do some planning and we're we're talking about that right now you mentioned the tax liability and paying taxes right now should i be considering paying some of those taxes because we have lower rates than we've had in a while this is the lowest rates we've had almost my whole career um you know this well let's go back to the 80s you know president reagan really dropped them down but for the majority of the farmers We've not seen rates this low in, in 30 years. So, uh, uh, yeah, definitely I'd be soaking up as much of that. Um, well, even the 22% bracket for farmers, not 22 because of the special 20% deduction. It's really about 18%. That's still a pretty low rate. In 2022, any changes that I should be aware of as far as tax treatment on the farm? You know, right now there is absolutely no changes. You know, if we looked a year ago, everybody had angst. You know, the lifetime exemption was going to drop. You know, rates were going to go up. Capital gains rates were going to go up. But, uh, you know, I think the Democrats found out they didn't have a mandate. You know, 50-50 to me is not a mandate. And five votes in the House is not a mandate. So uh, with this election year, you know, there's not going to be anything that uh, is going to pass. Now, after the election, lame duck, there might be some type of extenders, which are typically good. Um, You know, some of the things you need to worry about starting next year is we start losing bonus depreciation. Right now, everything a farmer buys, equipment, building, uh, is 100% deductible, at least for federal tax purposes. Starting next year, that's 80, then 60, 40, 20. So, um, you know, and, you know, but we still have Section 179 of over a million. So for the majority of the farmers, they're still going to be able to deduct everything. One topic I wanted to get to before we wind up, and I don't believe we discussed before, is a little bit of retirement planning, IRAs and so forth. What should I be thinking about on that side? Perhaps some listening have set this up and have lots of different things, but let's say I'm starting from zero. Where should I begin? You know, certainly uh, the IRA, you know, 6000 or I think still 6000 um, It sort of goes up in increments of $500, but 6000 for a husband and wife, that's $12,000. Uh, as you get more and more income, more and more um, liquidity, uh, setting up a, a, let's say, a solo 401k plan. You can easily set aside thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And I'm a firm believer, even for a farmer that wants to put all their assets in the land, and of course, I feel like I'm one of those. I've bought a thousand acres of land last year and a half. Um, they still need to set up their retirement assets, their non-retirement assets. I sort of call it the three-legged stool of, of financial 
uh, planning for a farmer and you know too often they put everything into that farm side and if they start young you know six thousand you know every year for 30 or 40 years very easily it's a million two million dollars and they don't have to rely on their next generation to fund their retirement as much talk about a simple ira versus maybe a 401k like you mentioned there what would be the differences or the advantages yeah the simple ira is just how it sounds it's simple it's very easy to set up it is um it does, if you have a bunch of part-time employees, it can require you to cover those part-time employees. Whereas a, what I call a solo 401k plan, if you're really the only full-time employee, um, it's, it's almost as simple to set up. Until you get $250,000 of assets in the plan, you don't even have to file anything with the IRS, but it allows you to put more money in. And those part-time employees, you don't have to cover. So um, simple sounds great. It sounds simple. It is sort of simple, but it does have some restrictions that the 401k does not have. You mentioned employees there, and I think it's important as we think about some operations that may have one or, or several employees. What should I be thinking about as far as a benefit for them for retirement? What do you see farmers doing right now? I, I think with the fact that right now it is just hard to find employees and it's even harder to retain them, I, I think providing uh, some type, whether you just help them fund an IRA. Hey, we're, instead of giving you a bonus of cash, we're going to put $5,000 into an IRA or $3,000 or set up that 401k plan for your permanent employees, allow them to put some of their money in, match it, or put a profit contribution, sharing contribution in for them. I, I think that goes a long way. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money. You know, a lot of these employees, if you give them a couple thousand dollars a year, you know, that, that, that effort on your part really goes a long ways. What do you see some operations doing on health insurance? Are they kicking in a little bit on uh, like a high deductible plan or how are they handling some of those things? Yeah, we're seeing more and more farmers provide health insurance, at least for the individual, maybe not for the family, but for the individual. Uh, A lot of them are doing the HSA plan where, you know, it's a high deductible, but they're kicking in a couple hundred dollars a month or five hundred dollars a month into the HSA plan, which I like personally. I like the HSA. Uh, it's it's another form of, it's actually the best form of retirement because you get a deduction by putting money in. And when you take the money out, it's tax-free. You know, a Roth, you don't get a deduction putting it in. It's tax-free coming out. But an HSA, it's deductible going in and deduct and non-taxable coming out. So, and, you know, at $7,000, $8,000 a year over 10 or 20 years, you can build up that. That's even a better plan than, than, the, uh, than the IRA. Along the same lines, what about if I have kids or grandkids as far as some type of educational savings account? Should I be thinking about that? Yeah, I, I think what we really recommend for those kids that are old enough to work on the farm, and, you know, and of course, you've got to look at your state laws. You know, some, some states are a little bit more draconian on that. Um, I'm a firm believer, pay them. You know, pay them an appropriate wage. It's, it's 100% not subject to self or payroll taxes. They can earn up to about $13,000 now. It's completely tax-free. It can build up, uh, you know, they can stick it into a Roth. You know, a child can have a Roth. Um, you know, we can do a 529 plan, but you know, those are nice, but they don't, they're not as valuable, in my opinion, as a, as, a, um, as a Roth. Now, some people say, hey, you know, as far as financial aid, that really penalizes the child. But I, I think a lot of farmers in and a lot of people such as myself, you know, they're not really a proponent of financial aid. They'd rather build up the child, have their ability to do what they want to do and not be beholding to the, to the government for aid. Paul, to wind up, 
any things that you're seeing out there that we should be aware of, mistakes that a lot of us are making that you'd want us to, to make sure we don't make? Well, I think specifically on the farmer side, um, you know, historically for, well, ever since I've been a CPA, before I've been a CPA, farmers have had this unique ability to file a tax return by March 1, and they didn't have to make an estimated tax payment on January 15th. Um, that March 1 deadline is becoming sort of a, uh, an anchor around our necks, you know, both the farmer and we as the CPA. So I would recommend for all the farmers out there, and economically it's almost better to make your estimated tax payment January 15th and make your final payment on April 15th. So uh, with 1099s being later and later, and a lot of farmers are invested in ethanol plants or whatever it might be, we might not even get a K-1 until after March 1. Uh, so I, I'm recommending all those farmers out there that historically have filed by March 1st, you know, talk to your CPA, your tax preparer, understand it's very simple, January 15th you make a, and it can be a very small payment. You know, if your tax last year was two thousand bucks, you pay in two thousand bucks. Even if you owe a hundred thousand on April fifteenth, you still have no penalty. So uh, that's the one thing that I really want to start getting across. We need to, and I would hope that the IRS or Congress just eliminates this because it's it's not as practical as it used to be. Paul, I always appreciate the time. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Paul always has good information about the business, accounting, and tax side of our farming operations. He has his own podcast as well, The Farm CPA, that deals with all of these issues. You can look for that Farm CPA podcast on your favorite podcast platform. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, and on your favorite podcast platform as well. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook. I appreciate you listening. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.